Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, my name's Grace Campbell. I'm a comedian and feminist campaigner. And ever since podcasts started, I've been telling my dad he should do one. Dad, say hello. Hello. I am Alistair Campbell, I am also a campaigner, and I fear I inspire a lot of Grace's comedy. And what's our podcast, Dad? Our podcast is called Football, Feminism and Everything in Between. Because? Because football is my passion, feminism is your passion, and we are going to be talking to interesting people about those two things. And everything in between. Like Brexit. No, Dad, there is more to life than Brexit. All right, Dad, who have we got on the podcast today? Grace, very exciting today. We've got our first real-life footballer. Real life. Who has won nothing less than the Champions League and lots else beside. For? Liverpool. All his life. Played 700-plus games, and he's now one of the top pundits in the country, so he knows an awful lot of things. Our special guest today is... Jamie Jamie Carragher! Jamie Carragher, thank you very, very much for being... He's sort of our first Champions League winner we've had, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Big the time. real, the real Big reason, <laughs> The real reason you're on, though, is because I just love the way you pronounce my football team. Burnley. Burnley. <laughs> Burnley. I love it. How do you spell Burnley? <laughs> In Liverpool, that would be B-E. Yeah. You know, B-E... O-U-B-O-N-L-E. <laughs> anyway, I love, it. I, on love the end. I love it. Welcome to Football Feminism and Everything in Between. Thank you. Should we kick off with football? Yeah. Go on, Dad. Scale of 1 to 10, how big a football fan are you? 11. Really? Still? Yes. I was actually speaking to someone about this the other week. What would you do if the if the football wasn't a game? It wasn't there was no football. What would you do with your life? <laughs> <laughs> what would you do without football? It just... I just think football, you know as well as me, it can just take you to places that probably normal life maybe can't, with the other exception of, you know, kids and different things, partners as well. <laughs> just in case Nicola actually listens to Alistair Campbell's podcast, I'm not sure. But uh, no, it can just, it can take you to places and the feelings I've had as a player, as a kid, as a fan. That was with Everton. As a fan now at Liverpool, we're a couple of weeks away from... Maybe the biggest, well, the, the biggest game you can play as a club footballer. So, I mean, I, I don't think there was ever a bigger football fan than me in the dressing room I played in at Liverpool, put it that way. 
And you said there you're a Liverpool fan. Yeah. So even though you've stopped playing for Liverpool, have you stopped being an Everton fan? Yeah, I mean, people say, you sound surprised. Listen, I was, a, I was a mad Everton fan as a kid. I I saw actually Everton win a trophy, would you believe? <laughs> but uh, they, they were league titles in the European one in 85. I went home and away. I was a mad Everton fan. But listen, as soon as I start playing for Liverpool, it's, you know, Liverpool and what Liverpool gave me and my family, you know, the all the highs and lows we had. I mean, uh, all, all my family have, have, have come over. Now. I want to say all, all of them will come over. It was a real big Everton family. Yeah. There was only one Liverpoolian in the family. I'm talking cousins, uncles, you went aunts. To, you went to into a uh, Liverpool training ground in an Everton shirt? Yes. To annoy them? No, because uh, when, when you were a kid, so there was no school of... Ec- or it, the academies now, and they all get given kits. You didn't get given kit when we were kids. You, you, you come in what kit right. you had. Yeah. And the only kits I had were uh, Everton ones and uh, a Scotland one, would you believe? Excellent. <laughs> that was for... Be- well, say four, it was because Everton strikers at the Andy time were Gray. Andy Gray and Graham Sharp. Yeah. So yeah. I had number nine on the back of them. And when I first joined, Kenny Daglish's son used to train with us. Yeah. So he was the manager of Liverpool, his son Paul. So he obviously took a liking to me. I stood out as one of the better players in the group. And from that day on, I was called Sharpie because of in the Scotland and the Everton one. So Kenny Daglish, the biggest legend ever. At Liverpool, still calls me Graeme Sharp. <laughs> <laughs> and is it true that your middle names were inspired by Everton manager and player? Yes. Yeah, because was, we have something in common, because my parents were so obsessed with the Labour Party that my middle names are Iona, because that's where John Smith, the old Labour leader, was buried the okay. year I was born, <laughs> and Rose because of the Labour Rose. <laughs> But now I don't really care about the Labour Party, so I feel so I've been a, done over a bit. So what, you, yours are Gordon? Gordon Lee was the Everton manager in 1978 when I was born, and the best player in my dad's eyes was Duncan McKenzie, yeah. so there's no way my mum was going to allow him to meet. So it's Jamie Duncan. James. Jamie. James. Jamie is just, I don't know where that's come from, but okay. it's James. James. Gordon. Gordon Duncan. Duncan. No, not Gordon. Lee. James Lee, Lee Duncan. James Lee James Duncan. James Lee Duncan, okay. Duncan McKenzie was the one who jumped over minis. Yes. Why did he do that? I know, I don't know. But uh, he was basically all <laughs> Everton had. He was all Everton had in the 70s. Liverpool dominated. I think it was very hard being an Evertonian in the 70s, probably even harder than it is now. Yeah. And uh, it was the only thing to uh, hang on to for the Blues. And you're, when you came to having kids, you didn't think you had to name them after Kenny Dalglish? Or... <laughs> I've got, there's a friend of mine who sports Burnley, and his real name's Dave Beeston. He's changed his name by default to Dave Burnley. He's got a daughter. If it was a boy, it was going to be called Ralph Coates Burnley. His daughter is called Clarette Anne Blue. Like Claret and Blue. Wow. Burnley. (laughs) Claret and Blue Burnley is her name. (laughs) (laughs) That is commitment. But also, she might be really pissed off about that. Yeah, well, you're pissed off with Diana Rose, aren't you? Well, I am now, because Jeremy Corbyn's the leader of the Labour Party and I'm not going to vote Labour, so I feel... Hard done by for the moment. Well, yeah. Uh, what? So, so wait, now that you're not a player, uh, I'm always fascinated by you guys who go from being players, and then you go into what you're doing now: mm. media, punditry, commentary, and so forth. Is it not just incredibly second best, or do you love it? I love doing what I do. Do you? Yeah, I do love it. I think it. <laughs> You're never going to recreate being a player. That will always be the best. Maybe the next best thing is, is management. And why have you not Would done you, that? Yeah. Well, there's a few reasons. I get asked that all the time. If you'd have asked me or you'd have asked 
other people, not me, in our dressing room, who's going to be a manager? Jamie Carragher or Steven Gerrard? Say, for instance, the two local players, uh, high-profile players in, in the dressing room, who will go into management? I think 99% would have said me uh, than St- rather than Steven. Uh, because I was just obviously obsessed with the game. I was always talking about it in the dressing room, all that type of thing. And, and I was going to be a manager at that age, there's no doubt. Once I started getting into my 30s, I took my first coaching badge. I wouldn't say I loved it. But I can't say I did. And In a way that you why not? Playing. I just didn't enjoy it. I, I hated stopping a training session. So I, I'd go down the academy and you, you have to stop. If you don't stop it, you're not actually coaching. So it's like, stop there, you should be here, you should be there. I didn't really enjoy it. I didn't like stopping. I hated the training session getting stopped when I was playing. So I didn't really enjoy it that much. And the two biggest managers for me in my career were Gerard Hulier for six years and Benitez for six years. So that 12 years of my 17, 18 year career with those two managers. The two biggest influences on me, love them, great respect for them. But I always say the, the man who come into Liverpool, who I was so impressed with, was not the man who left. They were The job had killed them, broken them. They were different men, paranoid at the end, doing strange things, strange decisions. But, I mean, things did come out within the press. You'd be sort of sat at home thinking, you know, when the the news conference comes on, Sky Sport News, there's Liverpool, and they'd say something, you think, oh my God, no. Or, you know, just they're not the same person, really. And I just think it's what the job does to them. Do you think and, it maybe ruins their relationship with the game? And yeah, you I, think, scared I, think, of I think a lot of managers become bitter. And, and then they, they get the love for the game, and then they go back in to be a manager, or they, they have a year or two out. But towards the end, when things aren't going well, I, you just see a bitterness. You can see it in managers. They, they sort of, and I love football. And at times, I wouldn't say I ever fell out of love with football. I was very intense as a player. And football can take... I, I've just said before, football can take you to places, but it can also take you to dark places. And I, I probably, as a player, thought like a manager. It really affected me if I hadn't played well or we'd lost I'd go two or three days it was the only thing you could think of as soon as you wake up in the morning what you think of maybe that's because I was a local player and you, you felt like you knew every fan you could never get away from it that was how just did you, Liverpool How did you cope in that context with with players that you felt had massive talent but they weren't doing what they should do with it? Well that's another reason why I look at look at it now as well management I think my football brain or tour, I think I could put me, I'd feel confident put myself in a room with any manager in the world and chatting football and holding my own but that is not management that is probably punditry in some way yeah. but managing people and I'm not sure I would be a great manager because I think I would find it difficult mm. if people didn't have my commitment or passion yeah. I would find it difficult and I think some managers do people did, you have, there were the, did you have players who drove you crazy? Well yeah and then that's what I look at when I played for Liverpool at my best or, or our best we were probably in the best five or six teams in Europe. We won the Champions League, got to another final, we were consistently in the semi-final, quarter-final. And I'd be tearing my hair out uh, at some of the players I was playing with. And not because I was no superstar, but not in terms of their ability, more the decision-making. Why would you do that in that situation? Why We're nearly at half-time, we're 1-0 up, we're 2-0 down. We, in, that's why I played top-level football, because of my brain, not because I was an amazing athlete or amazing technically. It was my understanding of the game. And did you confront other players about Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, I nearly had a fight with my own player on the pitch. Uh, basically got him by the throat. Arbaloa. Oh, yeah, as, as Alvaro uh, Arbaloa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, I mean, I'd regularly have, I wouldn't say regular, have arguments with players, but there'd probably be words two or three times a season with me. And I was very aggressive on the pitch 
and not just with me tackling. It was, you know, with my mouth and, you know, because I just wanted to win that much. And I think that probably would have been, could, I don't think I'll ever, I won't ever go into management, I don't think. So I think I don't that think could, you will, ever? No, I don't think so. I think I'm too long in what I'm doing now and I'm really? enjoying it. But you're still young. <clears throat> yeah, I know, but I just think the longer you're in the game I'm in, the longer you're out of the game. And another thing is, I got to that age, I'm very lucky, I played for one club, I never had to move. And I'm yeah. thinking, am I really going to move mm. to London or Birmingham, Glasgow like Stevie has? Family's a big thing for me, me mm. kids and that. And I, If I couldn't see them every day. But can I you imagine yourself really aged, difficult. when you're my age, I'm 62, right? Or can you imagine yourself at 62 sitting at Austin, having to drive down to Austin to talk about Fulham against Burnley? <laughs> but he says he enjoys it and doesn't enjoy matters. the idea of managing. <laughs> it does, yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, I... I, I talk about football every single day wherever I go so it doesn't this thing mm. about oh, having to talk about football what you're talking about I would love to be doing that in right. whatever it was I mean I do see when you football. see when you jump into the back of a cab yeah and the driver recognises you and starts talking to you about football do you love it? I don't mind it no, that's yeah. not love it you don't love that then? no it depends <laughs> on talking shite <laughs> <laughs> what proportion of taxi drivers talk absolute shite do you reckon? because <laughs> in politics I think it's 85 yeah <laughs> probably 50% but no I mean everyone, everyone's got everyone's got their opinion on football everyone's got their uh, their own view on, and that's the brilliant thing about football there's when no, were, there's no right or player, wrong what did you think of people like you? pundits I watched everything as did a you? player I watched everything and did you, did the ones you really respected ones yeah. you didn't respect? To be honest, I, I wasn't one of them players who uh, thought, oh, the criticism side of it. Because I think, I think the position that you're in, you're either going to get praise or criticism. Yeah. You either ignore it all or you take it all in. You can't say, I'm, I'm only listening to him because he says nice things about me. Now, I'm not saying I'm, I'm actively sitting on the couch waiting for someone to talk about me. I wasn't a high profile of a superstar where I was constantly in the news about my performance. But when you play for Liverpool, you are in the, in the limelight week in, week out. But I'll be honest with you, I used to watch it and think I could do better than that. Right. I, whether that's true or not, or people can judge that. But I used to think the analysis when I was playing was... Was average, superficial. Do many yeah. players not watch the analysis at all? A lot of players are not that interested in football. Would you believe? Right. Uh, so, say, for instance, we play for Liverpool. Say, Man United or Man City or Tottenham Arsenal were playing on the on the Sunday. I come in the dressing room. It'd be a massive game, great game. And you start talking about the game. Some people wouldn't have watched the game, and I'd be like, what? What were you doing at four o'clock on a Sunday? You, what, what else were you doing? So a lot of players sound stupid. They play football because they've got a talent for football. Yeah. They don't love football. If they didn't have a talent for the game, they wouldn't go and watch a team or they wouldn't look at the results or find out what was going on or watch football. So, listen, you have to accept some people are, are different. And again, that goes back to being a manager and probably managing people. And then it would be really frustrating if there were people that you felt weren't analysing it enough. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't expect it on my level, but when it was a huge game, you'd expect people would watch yeah. a huge game. Well, that's still the same now in dressing rooms. I suppose it is. And, and any dressing room, you've got obviously different walks of life, isn't it? You know, everyone's different. Everyone's got their own way of doing things, really. But mine was always just about being probably obsessed about the game. And maybe sometimes you, people, you ask one of them to come in, they might say, oh, he's too obsessed with football. Yeah. He, he was too intense. Did you ever think you were? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I there were times when I was too intense about football and it would get to me when things weren't going well. When things were going well, that was almost like the relief yeah. where you could go, I can relax, don't have to worry about football for three or four days till the next game. Not worry as in like nervous about playing, but 
when things haven't gone well, it, it, it used to affect me badly. Would yeah. you? You know when you <clears throat> sort of talking about when a game would go wrong and you'd think about it all the time and wake up thinking about it. How, because that sort of sounds like that's a lot of pressure and anxiety going on while you're also playing and training. Mm. How did you pick yourself up of, out of that? And Well, listen, I think mental health now, is. It, I watched a show last night with a few footballers on. Yeah. Uh, Prince William. Yeah, Prince William was on it. It was a really good show. Uh, I texted Crouchy this morning how well it was and you know, it was really good. By the good. way, can I just have a bit of... Uh, Credit for this. Crouchy was in that film because somebody who works for Prince William phoned me and said, do you think you could persuade Sean Dyche to give him the day of training? Thank you very much. <laughs> and to be fair, he did. Man, he's not been picking it. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> but it was, uh, no, it was good. Now, I don't know. I mean, you didn't have that, those people. I'm, I'm not complaining, really, and saying, oh, I should have had this help. Or I, don't, I don't think I, I need, maybe I did. I don't know. You just got on with it. But, and because I'd never had nothing to do, I'd never played for another club. So I didn't know what it was like to play for Aston Villa, say, and I don't know any of the fans. So if I've had a bad game, I can just go home. I can stay away from it. Mm. In Liverpool, it's so intense about football that and you, you know everyone and, and the highs are so good because you know everyone when it's going well, vice versa, when it's not going well. But the way probably times are 12 or 18 months where the fans were on my back a bit because everyone always says, oh, Jamie Carragher, everyone loves him at Liverpool. This I'm not daft. I do him from day one till the end when... When you first start getting people think you're not quite good enough, then you establish yourself and everyone loves you. And you get and scoring then, own goals. Yeah, exactly. So that didn't help. <laughs> and then you get towards the end of your career and people saying he's too old, he's finished and all that. And you've just sort of got to try and keep your head. But in some ways, I did. I, I saw a sports psychologist who we had at the, uh, the club at the time, Steve Peters, who does a lot of work in different things. And uh, I got to the basis of it was that I couldn't change myself being that intense but it actually drove me on so the player I was was because in some ways I put myself through that because I'd be that determined that to sort of put it right the next time or the next training session or whatever it was it drove me on in in some ways feeling like that Do you think that there is a problem in football with like people not being able to talk about their mental health if they are struggling and that sort of not being able to show emotions. And yeah, I think so. Listen, because I'm only speaking about my experiences, and I think one of my greatest strengths as a as a person and as a footballer is my mental strength. Really, maybe other people are probably not as mentally strong as me. I know that from being in the dressing room with, with players. And sports psychologist was just coming in when I was playing, if you like, and it was always frowned upon by the generation before us. Mm. You know, you're weak if you need a sports psychologist. I, I've never been like that in that I just think if something can help you mm. in any walk of life never mind football 5, 10%, 1% use yeah. it why not and it is a big thing the mental side of it and how we we had one in England called Bill uh, Beswick who I used a couple of times as well myself when I was playing for Liverpool obviously I mentioned Steve Peters but a lot of it is how you go what frame of mind you're going into a game into mm. and that isn't probably tapped in enough and really you look at a bench in a football ground or dugout. How many people's involved in it? Is there a, is there a psychologist there? Is there someone to help on that? Is that you know someone makes a massive mistake in the first half? How's it going to affect them in the second half? Mm. Is there someone on hand there day in day out? I don't, I'm not quite sure there is mm. at football clubs. Maybe people will argue the greatest managers are sports psychologists in themselves. You think of maybe Ferguson, mm. maybe even Jurgen Klopp right now, mm. Pep Guardiola. These great managers. So there may be an argument there, but. 
I think it's something with every club should have someone full time. Because mm. also now, I mean, it's you also if you have a bad game, you're then going to get a mad amount of online abuse, and that's mm. another type of invasive. How do they switch off from it? Because you go home and people are sending you death threats if you've you know fucked yeah. up in that game. And so I think the, what's it called when you have that sort of protection, like with Love Island, they need to have that. um, Never seen it, my dear. No, but with like looking (laughs) after people after a game, um, basically, to make sure that they're like checking in on them, to make sure that they're okay two days later, a week later. Well, we never had that. The social media must be so difficult now for for the young players coming through. You get it now as a a pundit. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it doesn't bother me, I must be honest. Do you you, um, analyse your punditry in the same way as you did your football I did at the very start I did for the first probably 6-12 months I used to watch the shows back did you not not every show but Monday Night Football because that was a, a really yeah. big show and yeah I'd w- watch it back and you'd get told to watch it back by uh, you know the guy who was producing the show at Sky look back look, look at this and he'd give you tips and that And I, I don't watch them back now no. well to be honest you see that many clips on social media anyway you don't need to watch anything back <laughs> really but certainly in those first few months I'd watch stuff back. And yeah. back in the dressing room, was there a, a you know, I, I wrote a novel with Paul Fletcher, ex Burnley, and it was a lot of it based on his experience as a footballer, where there was a real kind of hierarchy in the dressing room. Mm. And one of the characters that we got was this young kid who's clearly got talent. And there are older players who start to see him as a threat and they start to really bully and intimidate him. Does that sort of stuff still go on? Probably not as, not as much, I wouldn't think. I. I... Just trying to think back when I was playing. I mean, players. Pe- people talk about football being a team game, a squad game. When the manager flicks over the flip chart, and the team's there. You only look for your own name. Yeah. You know. So, and I always say this to people in a dressing room: they're not your mates, they're your teammates. Massive difference. And you have, in some ways, got to look after yourself. I don't agree with what you're saying in that it, someone should be bullied. Or, no, I'm saying they should be. I'm saying they were. Is yeah, that yeah. what happens when people find out if they're playing? They flip yeah. it over. Really? Yeah, I mean, sometimes a manager might... Just yeah, shout it out. Yeah, but normally it's a flip chart. But I, I think it would be wrong if you were you're stopping someone or bullying someone, putting someone in the same position. Now, to stop them coming through and affect them mentally and, and be too strong mentally for it. But don't get me wrong, from my point of view, when I first come through at Liverpool, every season for about four years... They bought a player in my position yeah, to replace yeah. me, basically. Yeah. Uh, and that would be constantly on my mind every day in training to sort of wear that person down. Not so much bully them, but make sure I was better than them every single day. I was loud, I was aggressive, I was focused. I was, p- And to be honest, a lot of them couldn't cope with it. I wouldn't say it was me v them, no. but I knew they wouldn't be able to compete with me to be 100% every single day. Because a lot of players, you're going to train four or five times a week. There's one day a week when they just, I'll just get through this. I'll go through the motions where I, I was, I was right on, on it, it every day. Yeah. So I know I'd be in the manager's eyes every day. Bang! He, he couldn't not pick me. But you'd never go to the manager and say, "He's crap." Oh no, no, you'd never do that. Never. Plenty might done about me. I don't know, but I never <laughs> done it. Should we do feminism? No, I think we've got to do a bit more football. Okay. Yeah, we've got to ask. Did you play in that great game at Turf Moor when Jimmy Traore had a bit of a? No. What happened was... What happened? It's the greatest own goal of all time. Better than anything I've ever done. And we beat we, Liverpool. We, do you remember the first game got cancelled? Yeah. And we were in the tunnel. Yeah. And I was about to play. I was going to play. 
And because the game got rearranged, and for whatever reason, the, the games we were still in the Champions League, Benitez decided to leave me out or rest me, shall we say. <laughs> and uh, Rafa Benitez in six years never gave me a compliment. He was wow. that type of manager. Seriously? No. Never said yes. play well? No. But the one compliment he did give me, it was in his first year, it was after the Burnley game. And he said, uh, I mean, I should have played you, we wouldn't have got beat. Excellent. I'm so, so happy. So I was thinking, okay, I'll take that <laughs> off Rafa. That's it. I was, I was uh, actually Sky, that was on Sky that game, and the, I didn't realise at the time because my, my phone was in my pocket. I wasn't watching. I was getting thousands of texts because Sky cameras kept coming to me in the last five minutes because I was going absolutely <laughs> mental. In, and it was, uh, but it was a ball. The ball came in, and this fullback, Jimmy, the defender, Jimmy Truro, he got his legs completely muddled, and he, it was almost like he was dragged back, wasn't it? Yeah, and he sort of just he one. just knocked it back in, into the net, and both teams still sing about him. Wow, yeah, ledge. Helped us win the Champions League, goal. Yeah. Best games. May the 25th, coming up to the anniversary. Yeah. I only know that because it's my birthday. <laughs> uh, was that the greatest game you ever played in? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. By a mile. Yeah, yeah, that's... You, you, what did I play? 737 games to Liverpool. I mean, that's that's the only one everyone wants to talk about. There may be a couple of others, but that's that was a standout game. Really. And sometimes you're just, you're just lucky to be in a position where you're involved in something crazy that's happening did you feel it happen you know like when when Liverpool beat Barcelona recently and when Spurs mm. beat Ajax as well in both games you sort of felt a feeling that everybody else was having that something was happening yeah did you have that feeling in Istanbul at 3-2 yes I couldn't say before that no but at 3-2 I just knew it was inevitable that we would make it 3-3 then you don't know what's, what's going to go on really now and then it's just it's not really a game for Liverpool in some ways. It, it was a game for football. Yeah, I think everyone was talking about it at the time. I think did you was there a Lions tour? Did you go yeah, on the Lions? Yeah. I always remember Clive Woodward. It might have been a day or two after he picked the squad, and he he was talking. He was actually talking about Istanbul and what you know. No, he did. Did you go to New Zealand? Was it New Zealand? Yeah, I'll yeah. tell you. What, he's so a, the, going to New Zealand was the hardest thing you could do, wasn't it? As like going to New Zealand, and he was. And you think the fact that so many other people were using the inspiration of Istanbul for other sports, businesses, life, whatever it was. No, I'll tell you exactly what happened. We were at Heathrow and we saw the first half, and then everybody was really pissed off. The ones who were football fans because we had to get on the plane, mm. and so we got on the plane. And then when we landed in Dubai or Singapore, wherever it was, the pilot announced that you'd won. Yeah. And people were like, oh, my God, that is incredible, because you were 3-0 down when we yeah, got on the plane. Yeah. And then when we got to New Zealand, I think it was in the first or second team talk he did, he said exactly that. He said, this is like Liverpool at half-time. We know that this is going to be tough, yeah, but look yeah. what they did and da-da-da-da. Mm. Listen, one final thing, one final <laughs> thing on the football front. I've got a bit mm. of an obsession about football cliches in commentary. Yeah. Right, Okay. Acres of space. Jamie, there aren't acres, right? There just are no acres. Why do you all say acres of space? Yeah. I'm not kind of just, I wasn't expecting that one there. I don't think I have ever said that. I'm I don't think you have. Gary yeah. says it a lot. I love the best one is uh, about goalies. He's a great shot stopper. <laughs> well, if he isn't a great shot stopper, what's well, he there why for? Is he, why is he, why is he there? What's also, he doing? When you, the other one I want to know is when you, when you park the bus, right... You just parked to it, Burnley. Yeah, uh, very funny. When they park the bus, who drives the bus on? And is the, if the driver is still on there, is that not? And you've got 12 men. Yeah. And if you throw in the kitchen sink, 
when you throw in the kitchen sink, what if it hits the bus? Does somebody get? Some... I'm so confused. What are you talking I'm about? I'm lost here. What are you talking what? about? These are these cliches that the commentators they say all the time. What's what are the cliches the you don't like sink? against uh, Burnley? I hate that we only play long ball. Yeah. Nonsense. Mm. We play some of the most beautiful football on the planet. But what about when at the stats at the end of the season when you're top of the long ball table? Well, it's, it's fake news, isn't it? <laughs> Trump. <laughs> but you promise me that you'll never say acres of space. Park the bus. Yes. You promise you what won't do What does park that. the bus mean? Park the bus. Explain, Jamie. It's basically you've got all your men in front of the goal like a bus. You're not moving and it's very difficult to get through it. Right, OK. Are we going to get to the bus later on, the real bus? What bus? The, the Boris's bus. <laughs> yeah, we're doing that. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. And what's throw the kitchen sink throw just before we sink. move on? Basically, when you're trying to score a goal, you're throwing everything at it. So everything you've right, got okay. and the kitchen sink, everything's gone. I'll tell you another one. I'll tell you another one. I really hate nothing to lose. Yeah, that's nonsense. Yeah, and another one I hate: penalties are a lottery. Totally agree. They're yeah. Not. Can I just say though, what? you and my mum never say cliches it's something I realised the other day I've never heard either of you ever use oh, a cliche I hate them. you're the most least cliche people ever <laughs> I don't think my mum has ever said a cliche in her life so I think that's why you're so jarred by it but there's a sort of laziness to it yeah right so I think I just want that for the future career as we, as we <laughs> so go to the next Neville always says acres of space ne- Genev 2 acres of space okay right just tell him don't yeah, say is there anything else we can batter him on I'll send you a whole list I've got oh. about 500 though right <laughs> <laughs> do you like battering him yeah I love it yeah what would you do without that in football battering Genev 2 <laughs> what's uh, is he still as busy as ever he doesn't stop does he I just get up of a morning, you put your Twitter on, he's already put a tweet out about three hours ago or something, <laughs> attack this day. And then he's bought something, yeah, then he's sold yeah. something, then he's oh built something. Oh my God, that's hilarious. Come um, on then. All right, so I, have, if you haven't noticed, I'm not hugely um, clued in on football, but my, so the thing that I am really jealous of about football actually is that you can go everywhere in the world and have this like common thing that you can talk mm. to people about. It's like a, whenever we go on holiday, he just meets people everywhere because they just start talking about football. My equivalent of that is feminism. It's not as popular. But <laughs> it's I not do tell often, you as much. I do often meet people when I'm out and about and that's the thing that I can talk to them about and sort of bond over them about. So that's why I want to do this. On a scale of one to ten, and honestly, this is you don't worry about any of this. Like, it's sort of fun. I don't want to feel like I'm quizzing you. How much of a feminist are you? Lots of people do think it's just like this big scary thing that you have to like act on and think about all the time. But for me, and that's what I've tried to explain to my dad over the years, and I think we're getting there with him. Um, it's literally just thank you, doctor. Equ- <laughs> equality. So men and women should be equal. They should have equal opportunities. They should be that's, paid that's the obvious, same if they're doing it? the same job. Is that not an obvious one? Totally, but but there's a misunderstanding, I think, in the pub, in sort of mainstream about what it actually means. So should women get the same yeah. roles? Should they be paid the same? Well, yeah, I, 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 I totally agree with that. I don't think that's that's probably a question now. It probably was a a bigger question, probably what maybe ten years ago, fifty, twenty years ago, when you were, we'll say when I was growing up. But now, you look, you look at Sky, you look at the role I'm in, or. The other channels, not just Sky, but Punditry now, women getting more involved. And I think before, before, I think sometimes it was seen as maybe a token gesture or you have to do something to you know keep certain people happy. But whereas now, I can only speak about sort of the football. We've had Alex Scott on, or other people have come. We've got women presenters on 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 Sky also. And I think. The best way to describe it is you don't even think about it in some ways, whereas maybe, 
don't know how long. You would have a bit. Probably before you would have, really. Now I just don't think... Could you ever imagine a woman managing a top football team? A men's football team? It's a good question. I think that would be a long time away. Listen, I could easily say now and be, you know, oh, yeah, I could see that happen in five Mm. years' time. I struggled to see that for a very long time, really. Is my view right? Is it what? Well, that's only my opinion on it. Is that right? I think French that's team. probably but quite true. I don't think that's. I, I, I don't. Time. You know, uh, it's okay. Does the woman uh, know as much about the game as as the man? Of course she does. But f- forget men or women. There's a lot of football managers, men, who get a job at a, a lower level and they go to a big club, if you like, and and people straight away say. Will he get the dressing room? Will he? Will the players respect what he says? Now, I think that would be more, maybe more difficult from certainly the first one, but you probably think it will happen eventually at some stage. But I don't see it happening. Sort of, I don't see there being a woman Premier League manager in the next ten years. It's really interesting because I just walking here walked past Nike Town and there was this huge display in the windows of Nike Town of female football. Mm, and okay. that is on such a rise in all kinds mm. of ways, especially like the way that brands are now really taking it seriously and wanting to sort of like support young female football talent. So I think as that continues to progress, mm. then it will, you know, and, and men and women's football become closer and closer <laughs> of sort of being seen as like equal, which, you know, obviously in my opinion they are, but obviously not everyone is a sort of like, because you have this thing about should women be able to pundit when they haven't played as much as the men who are punditing? No. Yes, you do. No, I don't. Yes, you do. No, I don't. Yes, you do. It's a lie. You said it on Sean Dyche's podcast. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. Uh, Grace, I don't know what you're talking about. You did say that. <laughs> no, I asked you're Sean. Like no, me. I asked Sean. And I'm going to ask you the same question. If you're sitting there. With you're you're the pundit and there's Sunes and there's Alex Scott. Sunes knows a lot more. Yes or no? Well, I think he'd know a lot more. He's a lot more experienced, age-wise, straight away. But also, uh, having played in the men's game, which is so high profile, such pressure, but, such a massive well, I thing. I think he could does probably that himself yeah, not make it bigger. Well, in terms of actual the game, football's football. But what you're talking about is playing at the pressure, the highest level. Now, if Graeme Souness is playing in a, a European Cup final, if you like, in 1984. He could probably talk about that more than maybe Alex Scott or, or different pundits. But Alex Scott within the women's game has been very successful and won a title, won an FA Cup, I'm not sure if, uh, about Europe, but they'll, she'll know how she feels going into that. Now, yeah. I think the difference is with probably the men in the women's game is probably there's a lot more scrutiny on the men's game. There's a lot more press attention. There's a lot more criticism. I think I think there was a there was a game I think England in the World Cup I don't know if it was the last World Cup or the one before where I think one of the girls scored an own goal in a vital game towards the end. Now the difference I would say in the media would be probably a lot more sympathetic yeah. to hear. But if it was maybe the men's game, I think it'd be a lot more crucified. Yeah. yeah. So I th- that, that's just whatever that that's down to the journalists involved, I suppose. But what I'm trying to say is. You'd probably have more experience then of the the the, the real the, the negative stuff, or you think of maybe when Beckham, yeah, in '98 or stuff like that. Kicks I don't know if they're at the stage where if I think England got a World Cup, haven't they? Coming short, Phil Neville's the manager. They've done a great job, but 
that is a difference. Mm. I definitely think. And how how you could how would your experience be of dealing with that when it's you know the it's really gone grow, badly? It's growing fast. And have oh, you yeah. sort of noticed like a change in the culture in football of taking women's football more seriously from since you know when you started at Liverpool? Oh yeah, without a doubt. Would you and, go, would you think of going to the Women's World Cup? When is it? Soon. It is soon, isn't yeah. it? To watch Isn't it. it well, no, no, I've got no plans to go to the Women's World Cup. No, I haven't. I'm, I'm sure I watch a lot of it on TV. I think England's one of the favourites, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, definitely. And you talk about women being in, um, you know, managing in the men's game. Obviously, Phil Neville and there was someone before. Mm. I think it was Mark Sampson before that. Uh, really, uh, that's interesting. What as well? How how do the the women managers involved actually feel about? Men managing yeah. the women's team, I suppose that that that'd be an interesting yeah. one or, or debate on that. But yeah, but listen, I think the whole country will get behind that. that what about you, you as a parent? You've got a boy and a girl. Yes. Do you, do you feel you treat them the same, or do you no. treat them different because they're a boy and a girl? Different. Because how? Uh, I'm a lot tougher on my son. Uh, he, he he's he, he plays football. Mm-hmm. He's he's at Wigan. And wow. uh, so yeah, and my daughter, I am a bit softer with her, yeah. And if if my wife was uh, listening to this or had a, an input now, she would say an awful lot softer. But I also think my wife's a bit tougher on my daughter, and a bit softer on my son. I think that's just the way. I think that was the case in our family. Yeah. Mum was definitely tougher on me. With the toughness with your son, is it because you you want to develop him as a footballer or as a human being? Oh no, both? no, as a, as a person, I'm not really tough on him as football. Really, I mean, I get, I'm in a position where I'm very lucky. I've, I've played a lot of football. I can give him advice. You've got coaches there. I'd never step across them right. or step on anyone's toes. But when we get home, you can speak out a certain situation. And don't get me wrong, now and again, you do have a little pop out of him and that. But that was only be if I didn't think he'd applied himself 100. percent You know, because you can make a mistake. That's football. Do you think that's life. He sort of struggles with having you as a dad in terms of trying to become a footballer. Because I definitely. Can imagine that must be quite. Mm. I mean, intimidating. To be honest, you mentioned, you mentioned Kenny, didn't you? Paul yeah. Dalglish. That was hard. Yeah. We, Kenny Dalglish's son yeah. is hard. It's a, it's a, as a footballer. It's a lot easier being Jamie Carragher's son, I think, than Kenny Dalglish. Well, it's not far off. Yeah, but Fergie had the same with Yeah, Darren. yeah. But he doesn't know any different. Number yeah. one, so it's hard to judge it by. And I always say to him, yeah, it will be. There'll be more people saying, "Oh, that's Jamie Carragher's son," and be watching. And what happens to me is, if I, I always watch every game I can get to. And someone will just come up with, I don't know, which one's your son? Because he wants to watch my son so he can then go away and say, he was good, he made a mistake, he played well, whatever it was. Mm. And to be honest, a lot of time I just say he's someone else. Because I just think, well, what's it called? Yeah. Just watch the game. You know, yeah. you don't have to know who my son is. I don't know yet. You could tell him to go and buy a bloody programme. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's a team show. It's not difficult. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I say that to him sometimes. It will be. You'll get people maybe saying a few more little things to yeah. But, you know, there are positives to it as well, I hope. You know, always gets a ticket for the game at Anfield and he's going mm. to a Champions League final in a couple of weeks. So Who does he support? Oh, he's Liverpool, massive. He goes home and away everywhere. Does he? Yeah. Because I don't know he's a well. player. No, he's only 16. He's, just, he's yeah, got his he's exams. Got play. Yeah, but he's... Uh, they can find it. They get to most games anyway. Brilliant. And so what? And when you say you're softer with your daughter, how does that express itself? Well, what, I, can I, she, what can she do that you wouldn't let your son do? Uh, I mean, I probably wouldn't be as... I don't know. I'm just trying to think, really. Uh, I mean, she's a young girl growing up, isn't she? I never had... I was three brothers. We didn't have sisters in some ways. And obviously I had my mum. That was the only real woman in my life until I, I, I got me... Obviously, my missus and my daughter, really. So I've never grew up with a, a young girl 
in a house and different things and the things they have to, you know, obviously go through and different things. And I think they are a little bit more softer, aren't they? I'm definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> Come to my eyes, mate. <laughs> um, but definitely some of them, yeah. But I, she gives, I was... Grace gives me a lot of grief because she claims that I, that I always pull funny faces when she talks about periods. Periods, which you do. Would you talk to your daughter about no, periods? No, You wouldn't? No. You should. No, 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 no. Not my department. Jamie's going no. quite red right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Jamie has got the colour of the Liverpool shirt. And a period. What about, because um, uh, she's big on Instagram. How do you well, feel about that? Well, I don't mind it because she's very sensible on there. And my son is totally the opposite. My son won't let me follow him. Wow. On Instagram. Uh, because he says I'll just get random people all over the world following me and asking me stuff. Whereas me is is my daughter's not into football one bit at all. No, is your missus? No. What? Love, no. love that. No. Your mum? No. Well, seriously, my mum was watching me play. I think no more than four or five times in my life. That's incredible. She's been to Anfield twice. I think Nicholas probably not watched more than twenty twenty five games. Really? Amazing. Yeah. And your daughter? I'm, no. And my daughter might have went to two or three. Seriously? Just does before that, I finished. Does that bother you? No. 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 I, I wasn't sitting there thinking, oh, why yeah. Andy here, why Andy? To be honest, when we were growing up, probably as an old-fashioned view, it was just, you know, the men went to football and the women did whatever they wanted to do on the weekend and my wife would be... Also, it's the only profession in the world where people think that you should take your family to watch you work. Mm. Yeah, but also, I, I mean, mean... doctors don't take <laughs> yeah. the kids to watch them doing operations, do they? No, I know, but I'd be... Because I'm a stand-up comedian, and I'd be, like, upset if, like, my boyfriend never came to watch me perform. Well, I'm amazed that he does, given some of the stuff you do. <laughs> <laughs> TBH. <laughs> um, but that, yeah. You don't worry about her... Because she is quite out there as your daughter. Yeah. Right? People know she's your daughter. Yeah. Does that not give you a bit of cause for concern? <laughs> Not really, she's quite quite sensible. And she's in the, the arty world, if you like, mm. uh, dancing. Uh, she goes to uh, Rare in Liverpool, which is a you know performing yeah. arts school. Nice. She's She's been to America dancing. She's really focused on that sort of line, really. So it doesn't seem to cross over into mm. sport or football or, or different things. And I think she's got an... Uh, that's an official one, which is quite sensible. I think she's got what Aaron and mates have on. They call it Finster. Yeah, fake, yeah, fake yeah. Insta, is it? Fake Insta. Where they just between it's themselves. Private maybe, Instagram. Oh, right, yeah, okay. they put their, uh, the funny videos I'm on I'm great that on one. Instagram, aren't I, Grace? <laughs> oh, my God, you're so embarrassing <laughs> on Instagram. Yeah. Grace it's, it's I'm real the worst source for concern. Insta-poser on you, the planet. No, but you don't even know. You just post, like, odd things that don't make any sense. Insta's so many people talk to me about it. Yeah. But also, it's visual. So he'll post things like a post-it note where you can't really read what the post-it note says. As long as he's not doing selfies. Yeah. Oh, he is, but his head's cropped out yeah. of them. I can't like... do selfies. I can't. I don't know where to look. Yeah. I don't know where to look. You'll get there anyway. Loads of people message me about how amusing they find it. So at least you're comic relief for yeah, some people. Yeah. So your, your boy wants to be a footballer. Yes. And your daughter wants to be a dancer. Dancer in drama. She's doing a lot of stuff now. They do self tape, so they don't have to go and do an audition. Mm. So constantly getting asked for sort of self tape. So she's got an agent in London, one in the states. Great. Uh, that's so exciting. So that's the, the world. She, she's a year behind my son, so she'll be doing her exams. Right. She's doing a mocks today, or starting today. My son's doing an exam today as well. So she'll be in that position in 12 months and then see where she goes. Or what and do, they, do, do, they, do they, even though, so even though your missus, so your missus wouldn't watch you on Sky? She, no. What she would do is sometimes she will just check her look okay 
in terms of you know your tie or your suit, your hair or whatever it may, whatever it may be. And you might get the odd text, but she certainly wouldn't watch a game of football. Amazing. She might watch the Champions League final, I suppose. Everyone in Liverpool will. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is really. Um, I want to ask you. I hope you don't mind. But basically, like, obviously, I grew up with him as a dad, and there was a period in time where lots of people actually quite hated him, and um, he got quite a lot of shit from people, and sometimes gave it back. And I want to talk about when you had that incident last year yeah. with the fan and driving the car. How did your family deal with that? Because I really have struggled in my life mm. with things. Like that happening with my dad, because it makes me feel scared of yeah. what could happen. I don't know. Well, we were devastated by it, really. Uh, I was actually talking about it last night, because I thought it might come up on this podcast, talking to my wife about it. And you actually go back and you think, the aftermath of it, you know, you're doing interviews, apologising, and then I had to come back to my family that day. It was like, sometimes you think back and you think, how did you get through it? In some ways, you know, you just think, you just do. Uh, but listen, I mean... I'm not someone who is permanently trying to blame someone else. And that, I was like that as a player, but I made a massive mistake, really. And I think the world we live in now, for people in, in the in the public eye, and people sometimes in the public eye complain about intrusion. and I would never complain about that. And I don't think anyone should ever complain about that because we're in a privileged position, more often not with high profile, which means you're in a lot of money. And anyone who tells you it's not a great life, I think they're telling lies. You know, you think of the, the hardship a lot of people have, mm. really. But the way we live in now, we're all in WhatsApp groups. We're all on social media. And what do we all get sent each day? It's a funny video of someone or something. Or so. And a guy's trying to get a funny video of me. Totally. It's not the first time I've had it. It won't be the last time I've had it. I've never reacted like that before. And Was something else going on that made you react like that? No. I mean, it, it just, it, I'd, I'd come out and I was just driving along and, because you always play it back in your mind and I actually thought it was a Liverpool fan. So I put my window down just to say, hey, you mate, you're okay. And then, obviously get a little bit of abuse. Listen, it wasn't, not a major, or I'm not going to, you know, say the fellow was this. So I was just a normal fan, gloating about the win, a few words, I carried on two or three times and, and I just snapped. And, can I come on here and explain why I did it? No, because mm. I'd just be telling a lie. Why did I do it? If I could take that back, it'll probably haunt me for the rest of my life, really. It's probably probably took me about six, 12 months to <clears throat> get over it in some ways because I'd never want anyone to think I was that type of person, really. But in some ways, I am that type of person because I did it. You're angry. You get yeah. angry. Yeah, but... Uh, did it feel... This, did it, was it the same feeling as when that guy threw a coin at you and you felt you had to throw it back? <laughs> I, yeah, in some ways. I mean, I have got a little bit of a history of, of reacting to things. And I don't think there's anyone in Liverpool who can say they've never had a picture with me or a signed or because I just... It just mm. Do it. Yeah, and I'm not trying to blow my own trumpet. I just, I do. But I hate, the, I do, I do, I don't like the fact that sometimes when you're in a, a position of a public figure, if you like, and people think you're a bit of an idiot, or they can take the piss, or that you're not a, that you're not a normal mm. person, really. And I mean, I rang up a radio station yeah. when someone questioned me or or that, and I was like that as a player. In some wasn't like that as a player in some ways because I never really got booked or sent off too much. But I played on. You got sent off with the coin. Yeah, but I played <laughs> on. 
on anger mm. and aggression and, and different things like that. But no, listen, I got great support at the time. I was probably very lucky uh, to do this guy job. Well, yes. Well, I've got to say yes, haven't I? No, but uh, they, they, they could have they they could have thrown you under a bus, couldn't they? No, they did. Listen, I had to obviously apologise. I did. I did mean it. it. It did really affect me. I spoke to the guy involved. Uh, two or three days later, did I think. He, did he take that fine? Yeah, no. To be honest, I think they regretted it as well. The whole everything because they obviously started getting a bit of abuse when it was in the press. The thing that absolutely I must say will kill kills me is the bit about his, his daughter. Yeah. And this this thing, oh, you you, you spat it again. Honestly, when someone says that, I just, I just, it kills me. And I don't even want to go through. He did this or I did that. And I, I didn't, you know, the guy was just leaning across. Yeah. I didn't see he was in the passenger seat, yeah. and I, I just lost my head. And I can accept criticism for all of it. And it, it a guy was acting a bit silly with a phone, and I, I, I timed it by. And did you know straight away? Oh God. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, as soon as I got home, I told me my missus straight away uh, what had happened. You were just like, oh my god! But that was before. Is she is she quite tough with you on stuff like that? Yeah, well, yeah, I think anyone anyone would be. But she was unbelievable for me at that what time. Is it, what to be does honest. it mum would do if I did well, that? Well, when me me and my mum were once in a hairdresser and we got a call saying that my dad and my brothers had been in a charity football match and they'd beaten up the wanted. And we just put the phone down and carried on with our haircut. <laughs> Deal with that later. That's their problem, not mine. Because <laughs> you, I'm sorry, you've done some things that you should feel as bad as Jamie does. I'm not about. that. Some little jumped up pop star tries yeah. to have a go. Sorry, not having it. You know what my favourite video ever is when John Prescott punched that guy who egged him? That was 18 years ago this week. Really? That's my favourite video on the internet. I watch it all the time. But I actually think a lot of people... I remember watching that and I think a lot of people think... That's yeah. sometimes, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, you don't know what it's like when you get abused a lot. Like, And that's what... You've been gotten really good at keeping it cool. But when I was younger, you used to get so much mm. shit on the streets. And I don't know how you would contain yourself and not want to punch them all. I think the thing with football, though, is it's so tribal now. I think it's getting worse. I think it's a yeah. big worry. I think with social media. I mean, the carry-on between sort of Man City and Liverpool fans now on social media... Mm about going for the, you know, Liverpool in the European Cup final. If that doesn't go well, you can imagine the reaction. I think we're just stoking. Mm. Saying from a football point, so much anger. But do uh, the media not fuel that a lot? Yeah, but I think the media's always been... I just think social media now is just... It's massive. Yeah, you could say the media. I think, you know, when I was a kid growing up, Sky Sports wasn't there. So yeah. Sky Sports is on your TV every day. Sky Sports news, an interview, a message, a start, or whatever. It's just, it's, football is constantly in your life now. And I think for supporters now, social media, it's all about point scoring mm -hmm. and, you know, just slaughtering each other online and whatever. And I just think it stokes the tension so much now that I think even when you sort of go into a ground or... What do you, you think? What do you well, think? We saw that Gary, Gary Neville had something, didn't he, coming out of the last night? If you saw it with supporters coming through, with City supporters, you get it. And listen, in some ways, you, you fear game a little bit because, as I said, you're high profile, you've got a good yeah, life. Yeah, as long as it's not threatening and intimidating. That's yeah, of course. Yeah. I've had a lot of that before. Yeah, Away yeah. And I think also it makes people feel more like legitimately that they're allowed to do the same thing in real life because mm. they sort of do that kind of abuse online. It feels so easy mm. that then if they see you in real life, they'll feel way less free to just chuck you with a load of insults. Yeah, mm. yeah listen, it's just the... Uh, yeah, I was devastated about it. I still am in some ways, but 
time time is a great healer. It moves on, and you know, obviously you still get reminded of it now and again mm. at different things. But I think over your, your body of work of of your life or whatever. I think we're probably all going to have one or two things that we yeah. really regret. That's certainly one of mine. I've made mistakes before. I make mistakes after, but I know, and the people around me know, I'm not a bad fella. Mm. Yeah, mm. you don't seem like it at all. <laughs> this has been great. Just, just do a bit on politics, right? Come on, Boris Johnson in a word. Phony. Jeremy Corbyn in a word. Ooh, maybe need a few more than that. Uh, I like him. But I, I don't think he's done well on this 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 Brexit. He's got to make a decision which way he wants to go, and I just I just think it looks a little bit weak. Brexit in a word, shambles. Theresa May. <sighs> That's a word. The sigh. How do you spell that? Huh? Burnley's beating. Oh my god! What a shit. I mean, he's deluded. Mm. Nigel Farage. I don't like. Nigel Farage, sorry for not being one word, but what I do want to say admire is maybe the wrong word, but he's always been for Brexit and he's always been for UK, whatever he's done. Okay, you can't hate someone or dislike someone because they've got a different view to us, but at least he's always been that. The thing that pisses me off is that I think people have jumped on the, this bandwagon of Brexit for their own, basically become the Prime Minister. Totally. Gove and Boris Johnson... Boris Johnson didn't want to leave. Hunt is another one. Yeah. They jumped on the back one. of it because they knew Cameron would have to go if he lost it, and then they would do that. Gove then backstabs Boris Johnson to try and get it, doesn't get it, and now it looks like Boris Johnson's going to be the next one in. And in some ways, you might say you have sympathy in some ways for Theresa May as she's the Prime Minister now, and all these people are trying to get a job. But I can never forgive Theresa May for... She wanted to remain... But she, and she was was she the home secretary yeah. then yeah yeah so a, a massive part of the uh, government she should have been fighting for remain she never said a word until I remember an interview but at the last minute she was evading it she was and they just said which way she said I think it'd probably be best if we remain but she wasn't fighting for uh, Cameron to Corbyn remain was, Corbyn was the same yeah but what I'm saying is she knew Cameron would have to go and then she'd step in so all these people now. They're all fighting to be the Prime Minister. That was the biggest decision, bigger than a general election. I never, I remember waking up in the morning, I could not believe that mm. uh, Brexit had won, really. And what's got... Oh, it's unbelievable. Do you think... Do you, do, are you still with me in thinking that it can be reversed? Stopped? Yeah. I want that to happen. I'm not sure it can. But I just... I look at it now and I just think... Why did people vote for Brexit? They voted for Brexit because they weren't happy what was going on in this country. It was a protest vote, in my opinion. But as I said, you can't have a go of people for voting different to you. So I voted the other way, they voted that way. But what they're going to eventually get is not what they voted for, uh, really. And I think the thing with, with Brexit was it was the unknown. So it was like this thing, oh, whereas they knew what remaining was, now whether they're happy or not, we're not happy. Brexit, there's this mystique about it. What is it? And you've got all these David Davis coming out saying, we're going to go to the EU, we're going to demand this, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And I'm thinking... Forget it. Forget what, it. One, what, why are you telling these... What, mm. what, what, what is Barney and Tusk and Juncker and that in, in the EU thinking, reading all our papers, what you're saying every day and thinking, oh, you think you're going to come here and get an easy deal? 
Don't be so stupid. Who does that in negotiating? Starts telling their own people, we're going to demand this, they're going to do this. They won't do this. They don't want a no-deal Brexit. And they've basically just laughed at them, haven't they, yeah, really? They've exactly. gone over there, they've embarrassed themselves. And now you come back and it's like... What deal is that? I mean, how many times has the deal been thrown the common? Three sure, times, yeah. probably four times. And I in a think few that's days. why they've made the next date for us leaving Halloween because they're just laughing at us. <laughs> it's just a sick joke. They're like, you know, what you fucked us up so much. But I, I mean, you know better than me. Is it possible? I still think it's possible. I, I certainly think if we get another referendum, I believe we can win it. I'm absolutely convinced of that. And well, but, but if Boris Johnson gets in, though, no? well, yeah. which, which he's going to. Yeah, so what I'm saying is he would he'd rather go for a no deal Brexit, wouldn't he? Then uh, well, in which case he's then going to have to live with the consequences, which he even he probably understands are going to be a complete disaster for the country. Mm-hmm. Is he still as hated in Liverpool as he was? Yes, yes. Right, we should all move <laughs> <Yeah>. there. <laughs> well, I mean, to be honest, he, he gets in, and he, there was stuff I was reading about him the other day. I remember at the time some of the stuff he said about, you know, was it Hillsborough and yeah. Uh, self-pity city and stuff like that I'm just thinking oh he wouldn't be able to visit the city I don't think not that I think Liverpool particularly want a Tory uh, leader mm-hmm. or Prime Minister coming uh, to the city but no he wouldn't last two minutes it's like Trump coming to London yeah good <coughs> are you done? yeah that was great oh, a little bit, a little bit about, about your sort of political history in terms of you know you, you, it's interesting you said mm-hmm. Bill Shankly you liked because he's a socialist do you still see yourself as a socialist? Yeah, listen, I, I class me, I'm from Bootle, which is probably one of the poorest, not regions, and that's probably one of the poorest regions in the country. And I see myself as very lucky, really. And not in terms of, of getting out, because I mean, I basically spend most of my time in Bootle with my family and my friends, drinking if I'm going out or whatever it may be. But it's very tough, and I'm I'm not someone who thinks, oh, I'll look after myself. I mean, to, I've got a very basic view on politics. I'm not going to pretend I'm some expert, but... Labour is for the people who find it tough, and I think the Tories are for people who've got a few quid, basically. I'm in the category of got a few quid, you know, played football, but that wouldn't mean then mate, vote Tory and think, oh, I'll get lower taxes and I've got more money. Because someone once said something to me, and I think he's perfectly right, uh, spot on. He said, if you come from a, a tough upbringing and, and, and you make a few quid and you've got more money than anyone else, what's the point of having all that money if there's no one else to go for a pint with? No one else has got the money for a pint. No one else has got the money yeah. for a night out. No one else has got the money to go to a nice restaurant. Not a nice restaurant, for some food or whatever. And you're sitting there on your own with a load of money. And that's how I see it sometimes when mm. people vote Tory or people are talking about money and you've got to look after yourself. Well, life's about people enjoying mm. yourself, times together. I'm talking about football taking you to places. Mm. Well, it's because it's together. It's with people. And that's what I see Labour as. It's it's for, for everyone. Whereas I think Tory's... It's not well, though, is it? No. No, I mean, the fact that I think we're, st- we're still behind in the polls considering how bad this Tory government yeah, is, is is not good. And I think, yes, I was massively behind Jeremy Corbyn going into the last general election. I always will be, whatever the Labour uh, frontman is, really, the leader. But I think the stance on uh, Brexit has been so poor. And you see the difference with the Lib Dems, mm. how strong they've been against uh, Brexit and the actual results they had in those yeah. was it elections a, a few weeks or yeah. you know months ago and I just think Jeremy Corbyn's just you can't you can't sit on the fence on a subject like that I understand Labour have probably got a lot of people who want it certainly in the North East I think a lot of those voted for uh, you know for Brexit and that's obviously a notorious Labour stronghold 
and he, he probably thinks he's stuck in the middle. I don't want to upset half of the you know the Labour the other the other half. But I think it might I, be more that he just actually wants to Brexit get get Brexit without getting the blame. Your dream six-a-side team to change the world, Jamie Carragher. Tell okay, us. I had a good think about this last night, and uh, I, st- I I tried to tick a few boxes. So we've got to go with the, the three men, I think, to start with. Oh my god, I, I forgot one of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm going to start with Bill Shankly. Yes, I knew you would. Uh, and the reason being is not just because he's a Liverpool manager, he's someone I obviously never met. Uh, but as more as his beliefs on socialism and what he did for Liverpool Football Club, obviously, and Liverpool the city, and that togetherness, really. And I think what, what the criteria was, you know, six people to change the world, yeah. if you like. <clears throat> I think there's something special about the Scottish voice. I've always believed it. And I don't think it's any coincidence that probably the greatest British managers, Scottish, yeah. Busby, Ferguson, Shankly. And I wouldn't say the Scots have got some knowledge of football that people anywhere else haven't. I just think when you're in that position of power, that, that voice, it's like when I listen to Graeme Sooners, punditry. It's, just, it's the voice, it's the delivery. And I think it brings people with them. And just watching clips of Shankly speaking, you sort of, you, you do anything he said yeah. when he speaks and, and the humour in him. So he's, uh, he's got to be in there. Great. That's a great one, I love that. Did you watch the film? The, 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 did you read the, the David Peace book about Shankly? No, I didn't. That was the, uh, what was it called? It, it was a funny read, wasn't it? The way it was they awful. Did, yeah, I didn't like it. The thing be... where they named the team every game and all yeah, that sort of Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's another book I read about Shankly where... Well, there's the one about the three of them, isn't it? Is it Busby, Steen and, and did Hugh McIlvenny do a, yeah, a documentary yeah. on it? But there's, yeah. another, there's another one that, was, that sort of recorded his life after he left Liverpool and it all got a bit sad and he kept turning up at the training ground yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And the players were getting a bit... I think he regretted yeah. leaving, didn't he? But he was amazing. Oh yeah, listen. Yeah. He, he was unbelievable, <laughs> right, wasn't two, he? Who's next? Two. I'm going to go for an ex-political leader in uh, Obama, mm-hmm. and the reason being is, I mean, I watch the news, political shows at different times, and he's the one, probably the only one who you felt like you sort of hanging on his every word, and you look at him and you think he's brilliant at his job. He's cool, he looks the part, he just, he's got something about him. He's funny. Great Whereas when you watch a lot of politicians, they look wooden, they look stiff. They don't look. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They don't quite, you don't feel like you could go for a pint with them or, or, he felt like he ticked every box to me, really, where I think probably a lot of women fancied him and a lot of men wanted to be him. And that's probably the best way of describing him, really. And then you think of, (laughs) Being, you know, the first obviously black president, and what America have got now to compared shit. to that, you're like, wow. Yeah, Trump from from, from him, Shankly Obama, yeah. And I know I've picked a Liverpool manager, but I've got to pick a scouser. Yeah, John Lennon. Oh, second, second time, time he's been on. We've had him in the last one. Yeah. yeah. Now, I mean, so you're a John, you're a Lennon, not a McCartney man. And both, actually. I went to see Paul McCartney. He'd done a, a private gig 
in the Cavern Club for about yeah. how many? About two, I heard about that. Two, maybe oh two hundred people. So cool. And it was like he was like six foot away from you know just watching Paul McCartney that that far away from you, uh, really. But no, I went for John Lennon because you know he was an icon, wasn't he? And obviously the way he unfortunately passed away. But what he did with you know the Give Peace a Chance, yeah. getting that many people on the streets. Uh, of America, it was the Vietnam War, wasn't he? he? Was totally against that. And I've got a funny story. You know, when, when you go to New York in in Central Park, Carragas right Park. over the well, Carragas Bar's there, <laughs> yeah. but just is it over, in Central Park? No, uh, no, a few, few streets down. Okay, nice. But opposite the Dakota Building, obviously where John Lennon, uh, what happened to him? There's like the the Imagine sort yeah. of tiles in the floor, and there's a little fella selling John Lennon stuff. But he sold it, so I'm going there. I'm just with my wife. Just walking through, there was a picture of me, <laughs> me, Kevin Keegan, Stephen Gerrard, and John Lennon. <laughs> so I'm thinking, oh my was god, was he a scouser? This guy? No, the fellas, not no. no. But he's selling John Lennon <laughs> memorabilia right next to. The, but he most, saw you a ring. I know exactly. <laughs> I'm sat in there thinking, oh my god. Oh, uh, but amazing. another story of that one actually was, uh, you know, you get the bike around Central Park. So maybe I'm going to jump on a bike. No one's got a clue who we are. So a few of the lads selling the bikes must have seen the Premier League. So, uh, oh, that's Jamie Carragher, Premier League, Liverpool. So, a few, so an American guy comes over, sees like a couple of people around me and said, who the hell is he? And he said, and he said never heard of him and just walked <laughs> off. So he misses, uses that one all the time. And you three women? <clears throat> I've gone for... I'll be honest with you, when I was thinking about this, it obviously it was a lot longer than the men, and I didn't want to just pluck a name from years ago and say, oh, this I'm thinking people who I, I remember, really. And for me as a kid, I went to uh, a really Catholic school. You went to church every Sunday, and it was, you always talked about Mother Teresa, really. And I can't sit here and say, I know everything about Mother Teresa, so I did look her up and that, but it was just the one name that come to me. Yeah. Where even in Liverpool now, even if there's a woman doing something helping, oh, she thinks she's Mother Teresa. <laughs> you know, that, that yeah, type yeah, of thing. Yeah. So it was always that. So our first Albanian. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she'd be happy. So, yeah, I mean. I didn't know she was Albanian. Yeah. Wow. And uh, obviously sacrificed her life, didn't she? They helped people and different things, and obviously a massive part of the, the Catholic Church. So I'd say uh, okay. Mother Teresa from when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, number two, Princess Diana. Mm. My friend. Yeah. Nice one. Yeah. Loved her. The reason I went for that was a little bit like like uh, Obama where I think she was probably the one royal. Certainly at that time who there was a connection with, with the people, wasn't it? It was always seen a bit, you know, seeing the city I was from I'm, I'm from, where, you know, the royal the uh you know, the royal family are not I would say loved, mm. put it that way. Mm. And I think Princess Diana did sort of Crossover and that, mm. in, into becoming mm. sort of an, a normal person. I think people could identify with what she w- went through, you know, with, with the marriage and different things. I think you know a lot of women, and then you could see the. Mm. I'm sure you were a big part of it, wasn't you? The uh, death. Yes. And Go on, the, you can say it. You can brag. Brag. What? You came up with the. I'm not brag. Go on, brag. Come on. Buy the diaries. Buy the diaries. <laughs> I've the diaries. Up, Very good man. He Pe- came up with the phrase "the people's princess." Yeah, yeah, yeah. As seen in the Queen. Yeah. What's that man who plays you? I don't know. He does a bad accent. Terrible. And <laughs> the third one, uh, 
I'm going to go for my mum. Oh, I love that. I've been wanting someone to say their mum. Yeah. uh, uh, What's your mum's name? Paula. She was almost going to be a nun Mm -hmm. when she was obviously a lot younger. She was so she was you know, went to church so every very day. Catholic. Yes, very Catholic. Still goes to with the church. She's involved in the church. No, not as much. Well, no, I don't uh, really. Uh, but my mum still goes now, obviously religiously every Sunday. One of those people is involved in the church. Goes to Lourdes and different things. We're always trying to help people. And my mum has sort of always been the one in the background. And some ways, it was always my dad who went to football. He goes to match, and he, he's the big character, and you know. Things like that. My mum's always been the one who's sort of been behind the scenes. She sends me a text after every game or every time I'm on TV. Well done, great show, Kiss. There's not any anything like that. Does she that. watch it? Yeah, she always watches it. <laughs> she does. Is that one of those automa- automated? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she, uh, she's, she's that sort of nicer person. And everyone thinks their own mum's nice. I get that, but uh, very humble, very worried about what people think. So when we talk about the incident before, that absolutely shattered me more, really, in some ways. And, you know, very proud on a typical Liverpool woman, really, in some ways. And she's just joined Instagram about a year oh or two God, ago. Oh, that's amazing. And she feels, she feels like she has to like everybody's picture who she that. knows, and she has to comment. But she does the same comments on everyone's what does she picture. Say? Hi, lovely pic. That's all she says on every... So every person I go I through Instagram... That. I just see my mum's comments saying, lovely pick, kiss, lovely pick, kiss. Because she's worried that they'll think, why hasn't she liked it? But I'm saying, mum, they don't know if you've seen it or not. They won't know. You don't have to. Oh, my God, bless. That is so, the best uh, cool. So, yeah. Jamie Carragher, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. That was great. Thank Thanks you, for Jamie. having me. Thank you. Absolutely brilliant. Just say Burnley one more time. Burnley. I... Loved that. Well, there you go, Grace. I've been telling you for years that there are lots of intelligent, interesting, attractive footballers. They're all attractive. Well, interesting and intelligent. He's a very, very intelligent guy. Yeah, but I've never said footballers aren't intelligent. You say that. Anyway, what I loved about him was that he he just answers questions totally straight, doesn't he? Yeah. Said what he thought about everything we asked him about. I thought it was quite moving when he talked about his... The the spitting. The spitting thing, thing, yeah, because it clearly still gets to him a lot. Um, and I'm fascinated by that. I think he would be a great manager. But you know what? I thought that was really interesting that he could admit that actually... Because not everyone wants to organise a team. Not everyone wants to have that role. But he would be good at it, I think. Totally, but he said he just doesn't think he'd actually want to do it. No. That's what it sounded like. Not he wouldn't necessarily be good at it. He doesn't want to do it for himself because mm. he knows it wouldn't actually be the right thing for him. And I think that's quite a big thing to admit. Yeah, and I love obviously I love his politics because he's uh, he's basically Labour but struggling with it at the moment, and he absolutely absolutely hates Brexit and Boris Johnson's. We've got that in common. And I just love that he chose his mum. Yeah. For his dream six society. Well, you choose your mum. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. But I'm surprised no one has chosen. No, he's their the first. He's so the first. Far. He's the first mum chooser. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. It's really cool. Thank you very, very much for listening. Please rate, review and subscribe to this podcast. This podcast is a Pink Protest production. And if you're wondering where the fantastic music comes from, it's by my favourite Scottish band, Skippinish. A 
freshly painted room deserves that finishing touch. A fresh new window blind from Acme Blinds. 100% family owned and guaranteed Irish at Acme Blinds, we're back to work safely manufacturing stylish and affordable window coverings for homes, schools and businesses nationwide. Our inspirational showrooms are now open and at Acme Blinds, we make your family's safety our priority. See Facebook and acmeblinds.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.